This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. This episode is brought to you by Genesis Aerosystems, a Moog company and leading provider of autopilots for rotor and fixed-wing aircraft. The Genesis STEC 3100 Digital Autopilot provides increased safety, decreased pilot workload, and is approved for over 200 makes and models. To learn more about the STEC 3100, visit genesis-aerosystems.com. That's genesis-aerosystems.com. But one of the things I always build in, does it feel normal? And in this case, it did. It, it felt like a normal gear retraction. However, the red gear on the safe light remained on. Welcome to There I Was, a podcast where we put you in the cockpit with pilots experiencing interesting situations and learn how they flew out of them. I'm your co-host, Richard McSpadden. And I'm Kristen Bodner. Kristen, who's our guest this week? Today on the show, we have Lee Lauderback joining us via Skype. Lee started flying at the age of 14, and for 17 years, he was Arnold Palmer's chief pilot and director of flight operations. Lee is owner, founder, chief instructor, pilot, and demo pilot for Stallion 51 in Orlando, Florida, the premier P-51 training operation in the world. Lee has over 21,000 flight hours in all types of aircraft and helicopters, including over 9,000 hours in Mustangs. Yeah, Chris, and interestingly enough, he's got more P-51 Mustang time than anybody in the history of the P-51. Wow. Well, this should be a really fun conversation. Okay, Kristen, let's welcome Lee Lauderback and get in the cockpit with Lee and his P-51. Well, welcome, Lee, and thank you for joining There I Was podcast. It's great to talk to you again. It's been a while. Well, Spad, it has. It's great to uh, be part of your podcast and uh, hopefully reach out to the audience and uh, we can all learn some lessons. Yeah, I, I hope so. And I have to share with, with the audience here, one of the, my best days in aviation was when we took my father down to your Stallion 51 operations and gave him a P-51 ride for his 75th birthday. And you also allowed me to fly in the front seat of one of your Mustangs on a formation flight with my dad. And that was just one of the best days of our lives. So I want to thank you for that. And what a great day that was. Yeah, what a special time. It was fun to bring all the DNA together at one place at one time. <laughs> yeah, it sure was. So, you know, you and I have just shared different stories over the years. And recently, you know, we were swapping an exchange about a situation you had with a gear anomaly in a P-51, which is really unusual. And I thought our guests might enjoy hearing about that and and uh, hearing about what it's like in the cockpit. And as an instructor, when you're sitting in the back with not all the controls you want or need when, you, when you've got a gear situation and a student up front. So can we start with that story and see where that goes? Yeah, so, you know, there I was, uh, you know, sort of in the backseat of the P-51 again, which, you know, I've been an instructor for, you know, over 30 years now on the Mustang, so sort of like my back office or my office, and uh, however, as you mentioned, Spad, there's some limitations in the backseat of the Mustang, things that I really don't have, uh, 
uh, and sometimes can't see. For an example, the gear handle uh, isn't in the back seat, along with some radios and manipulation of radios, uh, transmitter selectors, and, and communication frequencies. And uh, so full instrumentation, and in this case, it was with a recurrent student who actually been through our program and uh, hadn't been for recurrent training for quite a while. I think it was this I don't know, in excess of five years or something. So just, uh, you know, taking him through the pace, that, that was the mission brief, was to just revisit all aspects of flying the P-51. So we were, you know, normal takeoff and, you know, doing a, a really nice job and and uh, went on to the, the area which sort of brought us into the EP, which was dirty configuration stalls, landing gear down, flaps to full, or the normal landing configuration for the P-51, and uh, got through all of that, and finishing it up, brought the flaps to 30, and then positive rate of climb, called for the gear up, and so the student brought the gear up, and, and keep in mind, I can't really see the gear handle uh, from the rear cockpit, so student raises the gear. For me in the back seat, I've got gear indicators, but one of the things I always build in, does it feel normal? And in this case, it did. It, it felt like a normal gear retraction. And um, however, the red gear on safe light remained on. And in this case, we actually have uh, three greens, which obviously for the two main gear and the tailwheel, and then also the red light, which sort of abnormal system. Okay. So the the situation is the you get the three green indicator lights go out indicating the gear is up. However, the red light in the handle stays on indicating there's something not quite right. Is that is that accurate? That exactly seems confusing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so with two indicators, yeah, the normal thing would be, hey, what's the other one say? And so yes, both red lights are on and uh so you know, I directed, I became more directive at that point in time and going, okay, um, you know, confirm that you have a red light. Yes, you do. And uh, so let's go ahead and clean this, clean the aircraft up and get things under normal operation. Just have time to think about this. So we did. We brought the flaps all the way up, brought the power back to, let's call it low cruise power, where you can, you know, maintain good airspeed controllability and mm -hmm. And, and just take time to assess what's going on. And now at this point, Lee, are you maintaining below your, your max gear retraction speed just in case that's an issue? Or, or you know, what's your thinking there in terms of airspeed, that kind of thing? Fed, very, very good point. Yes, the answer, absolutely yes. Not knowing, okay, what is, what's the source of this, of this uh, unsafe condition? So uh, and that power setting... Yeah, kept us there. We maintained our altitude, and in this case, we're in a military restricted area, so we maintained our our airspace, and just started going. Hmm. Okay, let's think about this. <laughs> <laughs> and so, two of the points, two of the points were, um, we both had red lights. So, okay, we got to assume that it's for real. And two is that you know the gear retraction felt normal, at least to me, and and I know that airplane pretty well. And uh, so I'm thinking, okay, the gear feels up and red light's on. So maybe it's a gear door that didn't quite seal correctly. So after a couple minutes of just sort of pondering this, I asked the student to, let's go ahead and recycle the gear. 
Now, i.e., let's put the gear handle down. Hopefully the gear will come down. And if everything's normal, we'll retract it one more time and hopefully clear the <clears throat> issue and then continue forward. And uh, so that's what I asked the student to do. We had the airplane well below gear speed, I think like 120 knots, and requested the student to go ahead and lower the handle. So the student pulls the gear handle inboard, goes down, but notices there's considerable pressure or resistance from the handle moving at about a quarter of the way down. And, um, you know, through previous training with him, you know, we, we always, you know, resist forcing something in an airplane mm -hmm. uh, that's not normal. And uh, that's exactly what he did. He stopped the action and advised me of what was going on, which was, hey, the handle has significant resistance, doesn't really want to go down, and I didn't try to push it any harder. Awesome. You know, great. Don't, don't yeah. push it any harder. Yeah. Okay. Boy, that that that's interesting. Lee. If I just you know, so just to recap a little bit, you what's going through your mind a little bit too is you have these uh, conflicting indications. On the one hand, it felt normal to you. The three green indicator lights are out, but you have the repeating red lights in the handle, which tells you something's not quite right. But you've got a safe configuration, right? I, I would imagine, and tell me if this is the case, in most retractable airplanes that I've flown you have safe indications where you can land, even though it's not optimum, like all gear up, for example, is a safe uh, configuration. And in some cases you can get, you know, what would really be a problematic uh, situation where you only have like one main gear down or something, which is actually worse than, than no main down. Absolutely. So what's going through your mind maybe is that, well, you, you're in a safe but not optimum situation, but if you keep messing with this thing, what you could do is make things worse, right? Is that part of what was going through your mind there? Oh, absolutely. And and, and actually, Spad, that went through my mind even before we tried to recycle the gear. Mm -hmm. I'm going, you know, you know, we got an unsafe, and and are we going to create something? But keeping in mind that sooner or later the optimum is to go ahead and lower the gear, and you know, we could always fly the airplane home gear down, which would have been sort of the next step in that analogy okay if we got the gear down should we retract it and clear the issue or if it's uh you know any indication of abnormal at that point and just bring the airplane home gear down so but this was this was now to the point where okay we've got the gear up and we now have another what's called a data point i.e we've got a fault light now we've got a hydraulic binding or a mechanical binding of the gear handle. <laughs> so that's what I'm, I'm now going, you know, the spider senses are going like, okay, this is uh, getting more serious here. So one of the things I had in the back seat of the airplane was also a hydraulic pressure gauge. And so I could monitor, you know, the hydraulic pressure, which was still normal. And in the Mustang, it would be in, the, in round numbers, 1,000 PSI. And uh, so I had I had that that you know nothing really got triggered hydraulic pressure wise it it still was a thousand psi. Got it. So it was it was a mechanical binding at of some point in that in that gear handle. Did did you think or or that wasn't relevant? It it didn't matter. It just bound. Yeah, it just bound. And my guess was it's hydraulic in that you know the handle moved and and was sort of spongy and sort of fighting that. 
Okay. And, uh, so it, at that point in time, you know, I decided, okay, we've got, you know, a no kidding, real gear emergency situation going on here. And, um, and so now, you know, in my training, it's always, you know, slow things down and uh, assess the situation. And so I'm, I'm thinking, okay, you know, we've got a lot of gas on board. That's a great thing. The weather's good. That's a great thing. And uh, some of the other things that are built into our operation is also the ability on we, we sort of own our own frequency. So I can get to base ops and maintenance support, which was, you know, just a really great uh, tool, you know, to help resolve the situation. How would you describe um, just kind of the, the feeling in the cockpit during this time? How was the student feeling um, or maybe his demeanor at this time? Just just how did you all um, deal with that transition from, you know, everything's normal until we've got an emergency, but okay, we have options. Yeah, uh, great, great question. Um, you know, I, I became more directive. In other words, uh, definitely PIC in the airplane. And so very directive, but kept kept our resources of two qualified aviators in the airplane going. So it wasn't, you know, I've got the airplane, but let's work this as a team. Mm -hmm. And uh, the whole thing became a team effort, not only in the cockpit, but from the ground side and, and support, which I'll share with you here coming up. Okay, great. So here we are, um, you know, gear doesn't want to come down and, you know, time to go home, you might say and started the descent. So we just sort of took a leisurely route home with enough room to, to descent and uh, started to, to go through our list. So as I said, fuel wasn't an issue, weather wasn't an issue. I called base ops, and uh, which, which we termed Mustang ops, and uh, they answered right up. And I asked them, I said, hey, I've got a minor gear issue going on. How about you know rallying the maintenance guys uh, I've got two twin brothers that are that are the top guys in Mustang maintenance, some of the top guys in the world, and, and they really, really know the airplane. So I asked those guys to come up to the radio where we have a conversation. And uh, one of the other things that I, that I took in mind was that we run quite a few flight operations, and uh, anybody coming out into the area will check in on our company frequency so that I know, uh, you know, they're in the area and we can divide the airspace <clears throat> appropriately. But I also ask if there's anybody else coming out into the area. And uh, so while we were getting all this down, getting the airplane down and descending, secretary got back to me and said, yeah, we've got a T-6 Texan coming out, you know, in the next 15, 20 minutes. And, and I'm thinking to myself, great. Hmm. And so instead of going to the airport and trying to communicate with the tower and sharing an issue and listen to all the chatter with other airplanes, I decided to go to a holding point about 15 miles from home. And so I informed base ops that we we're going to go to Horsehead and we're going to be holding at 2,500 feet in a left orbit. And, uh, to go ahead and inform the Texan to come on out into the area. 
I bet that helped you just, um, you know, stay concentrated. Like you said, there you weren't listening to the airport chatter. You were, you knew you were safe where you were, and it was best to stay there and um, evaluate your options there rather than um, getting closer to the airport. Kristen, that's right. It, my the whole thing was, you know, keep things simple, and, and normal simple is safe, and you know, minimizing distractions. So, you know, the big thing is to stay focused and stay, keep your situational awareness going, um, you know, while you're resolving all this. And uh, so that's what we did. We got down there and probably 10 minutes for the maintenance guys to come up on the radio. And uh, so, you know, the conversation sort of goes like, okay, Mustang Zero One, what'd you break now? <laughs> <laughs> you know, which is, is always good to keep it humorous, you know. Yeah. And uh, so I, I told him exactly what, you know, how we got to this point and shared that and uh, told him, you know, that uh, in trying to lower the gear, we had hydraulic pressure. And uh, to now bring them into the um, process of analyzing exactly, you know, where we are. So we all came up with the same thing. Let's verify, let's confirm the position of the landing gear and position of the gear doors themselves, which would give us the ability to push forward on, on a good analysis of what might be going on. And so the T6 detection checked in. We got we got a tally on each other. We got visual sight of each other, and he just came in. And uh, so his assessment was that the main gear looked up the gear looked locked and the door looks closed. So that was the main gear. However, he noted that the tailwheel, even though the tailwheel looked like it was up, the tailwheel gear doors had a several-inch split between them. So that that really, you know, added into the analysis of, okay, it doesn't look like it's a main gear problem. It looks like now it may be a tailwheel problem, which from a pilot standpoint, I already felt a little bit better of, uh, okay, this is maybe tailwheel is the unsafe position, which is better than a main yeah. main gear side. Yeah. And uh, so now we have the data, and uh, we had a little powwow with uh, the maintenance guys. And, and so in the P-51 Mustang, there's a hydraulic T-handle, which does actually two things. One is it will release the hydraulic pressure within the hydraulic system and two is if you pull it really really hard it will actually release the main gear uh, what we call the clamshell doors which are the big doors so we decided okay instead of forcing the handle which we knew was going to happen let's go ahead and just relieve the hydraulic pressure and see if we can get the landing gear down and so that's exactly what I had the student do, and you know, much to my relief, I could feel it in the airplane when the clamshell doors opened mm. up, and uh, I'm going, okay, well, that's number one, that's normal, that's what I expected, and uh, so that's step one, and now that only triggers the clamshell doors; it doesn't open up the landing gear or doesn't uh, you know lower the gear, and but with no hydraulic pressure, the landing gear now will unlock the uplocks for the main gear and the tailwheel. And uh, 
So we're into step two of lowering the hydro or lowering the gear handle down, and uh, so I had the I had the student actually sort of just tell me, and he said pressures are normal, and you know I felt the gear main gear up lock you know trigger and the gear you could definitely feel in the drag of the airplane, and, and so uh, gear free fell, click click, um, and then three green lights. Nice. Which obviously, I mean, yeah. <laughs> That's a good feeling. Feel good. That's a good feeling. <laughs> and no red light in the handle at this point? or Yeah, no, no unsafe light at that point. Okay. And, uh, so normal. So finally. now we go to, to step three and, and time to, again, assess. And so we got the gear down and locked, and we got three green lights. And so I asked the maintenance guys, okay, do you want to reset the hydraulic pressure to help pressure the gear down? And their answer was yes. And uh, so we returned the hydraulic T-handle back in, which now reestablishes hydraulic pressure, which, you know, as I said, helps to, you know, pressure lock that gear. And uh, it also now uh, closes up those clamshell doors. And so that's exactly what we did. And gear down locked, three grain, hydraulic pressure, good. And so in a sense, okay, we've now resolved our emergency and uh, so at that point in time, started heading to the airport. I asked the T6 to stay en route, just to verify that it looks like I've got three gear down the lock, which he did. And then I cleared him off and thanked him very much, obviously, <laughs> and uh, called the tower. I requested a base entry, um, which is totally non-standard for our operation. We normally come in with the overhead. So I decided to just go ahead and tell him, hey, I had a minor, I've got a minor gear issue and don't need any assistance, but it's going to be a non-standard pattern entry for us. And, uh, you know, I decided, you know, go ahead and land the airplane from the back seat, and we taxied up to the ramp. So anyhow, we we got all that done. And, uh, you know, in assessing it, and we always debrief everything and go back and look at it, okay, can we do it better, um, that kind of thing, uh, really sort of pleased and we got everybody together that we all agreed that, you know, we did it by the book and, and we did it with some forethought and didn't push into it. And it was a good result. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Lee, was this a case where you had a situation that really wasn't covered in the, in the checklist? So knowing your systems, knowing how they worked and in, in your case, being able to phone home to ops, if you will, and, and get their input was, was really helpful in, in analyzing where you were. Very much so, it's bad. Um, yeah, it, it it doesn't really have okay gear handle doesn't want to go down kind of thing, <laughs> yeah. and uh, so the ability and uh, you know to reach out to maintenance or support is just so so valuable, and it becomes again it becomes that team effort to resolve a situation, and in, and in every case a team is always better than an individual. I've got some of the best you know, Mustang guys in the world and the maintenance guys. And to pool that resource is just a terrific resource uh, from the safety standpoint also. Yeah. Now, you, when you initially had the problem, you, you climbed up to a certain altitude or maybe you were high anyway. You had a certain altitude in mind. I wonder, is that a, a factor in your, in your troubleshooting process, Lee, where you have kind of a minimum uh, controllability check altitude that you have in the back of your mind? How do you handle that? 
Yeah, exactly. Sort of a pad or distractions. And in fact, one of the things that always has stayed in my mind, if you remember way back, I think it was a Lockheed 1011 that had a gear emergency, and they decided to take the airplane over the over. I think it was the Everglades, and there were three pilots in the front, and they ended up being distracted and actually, you know, crash landing the airplane in the Everglades. Yeah. If my memory serves me right. Yeah. Um, and, and it's a good example again of not maintaining SA situational awareness of the whole thing. So having a, having sort of a block of altitude underneath you is, you know, is always a good thing where you can, you can, you know, put more emphasis on the EP and less on maintaining a critical altitude. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. You bring that, that accent up, Lee. Our analysis and studies show that some 92% of off airport landings uh, do not end in a, in a fatality. In other words, they're done, you know, and people walk away from them. And the ones that do, we think, are because people get so distracted with an engine out or some other kind of problem that they forget the old aviate, navigate, communicate priority and, uh, and forget to kind of aviate or get distracted from it and, you know, stall spin into the ground. And, of course, when you lose control, you're, you know, there's nothing you can do at that point. So um, that, that's an interesting point you make about even though you've got a pretty serious situation on your hand and, and you're talking about it in, in a very calm and, and disciplined manner, as I, as I know you approach everything, um, it's still you for a while there had a potentially very serious situation on your hand with a configuration that you didn't know what it was. And yet you, you didn't let that distract you from flying the airplane and, uh, you know, and then handling the situation. Yeah, certain, certainly job one is that. And, you know, you look back and you go, you know, and, and the little guys that sit on your shoulder and talk to you all the time, at least my guys, you know, are always saying, hey, don't make a bad situation worse. Yeah, yeah, great. <laughs> and, and that certainly can. Now, there's an, there's an addendum to this story, right, isn't there, where you, you brought the airplane in, landed safely. Yeah, and what then, happened? And I'm, you had maintenance I'm looking at what the issue was. <laughs> <There's> a, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, here's the fun part. It tests to follow. So, Kristen, you better pay attention here. <laughs> All right, I'm anyway. taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so obviously the airplane went to maintenance, and we, you know, redescribed the whole situation, reviewed it. They put it up on jacks and tried to duplicate the the situation. And, uh, you know, short story is they cycled the gear 25 times looking at everything, partial cycles and and lowering it, looking for any binding, anything that wasn't, wasn't uh, you know, normal. And they couldn't find anything. Doesn't it always happen that way? Oh, it, you it, have You find a problem, they can't, can't duplicate it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I swear, it just happened. <laughs> yeah, the maintenance guys are looking at you crosswise. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, right. The old C&D could not duplicate, right? That's yep, exactly yep. right. Yeah, C&D. So... After 25 gear retractions and everybody's shrugging their shoulders, uh, they're going, we just don't see a problem. And I'm going, hmm. And uh, so do the schedule and everything and, and looking at this and assessing it and work together as a team and having trust in the guy. I'm going, okay, let's go, let's go, you know, fly the mission tomorrow. And uh, so here we are, uh, same, same scenario, student front, me in the back, and uh, we take off, and he raises the landing gear up, and guess what? 
red unsafe light comes on. No. Don't you know it? <laughs> I'm just going, you've got to be kidding me, right? And uh, so we we got some idea what's going on. So, you know, we've left the area again for the same reasons for a few minutes and went through the exact same EP plan we did before, minus the escort airplane. And, uh, you know, I called maintenance again, and we all got the plan, did the plan. Gear came down, and we came back, and we landed the airplane. And uh, we're, we're all shaking our heads now. So what do you do? <laughs> you return the airplane back to maintenance, right? Yeah. <laughs> maintenance puts it on jacks. Let me guess. They couldn't find anything. <laughs> they couldn't find anything. They, as Pat said, C and D. It could not duplicate. Mm. And so now it's like, okay, now what? I mean, where do you go? Where you, you know, so you've got to ask yourself, and I'll ask you, both of you, so what is the common denominator here? What, why, how can this happen that in flight it, it happened, and yet on the ground it doesn't happen? What do you think, Kristen? Maybe that student is bad luck. I don't know. I mean, no. he was he was in the plane both times. Well, <laughs> hey, very well done, Kristen. I'm proud of you. Nailed um, it. So that's sort of what we had. We didn't find any of the gear doors, any free play or anything that might indicate bounding. So, yeah, we, we actually came up with the same answer. Hey, how about the guy in the front? <laughs> because in cycling the gear and cycling the gear, um, you know, it was our guys that were doing it. Hmm. Interesting. I, I would not have, I was going to guess something about airspeed cause you can't duplicate the airspeed on the ground and maybe there's something there, but, but it's not there. But, uh, yeah, that's interesting. So perhaps, and it is, I'm thinking through, uh, Lee, that it's a recurrency flight. So maybe there was some technique in the way that he was retracting the gear handle that was, that was not quite proper. Okay, Kristen, what's your guess? Uh, I don't know. I'm at a loss. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll give it to Spad. Yeah, we actually, we actually put the student back into the front of the airplane while it was on jacks, and uh, it failed again. And she so goes, "How can this be?" Wow, <laughs> Kristen, you hit it. You know, so what the the the, the end of the story was, and, and where it led was that. He had been flying a P-51 that had a gear situation that required the gear handle to be held up all the way past the detent until the gear came up into place, and then you could return it to the detent, which is abnormal gear operation in the P-51. So what, what happened was he was actually introducing an abnormal hydraulic situation into the gear system by pulling it all the way up and holding it up, which tricks some of the hydraulic, you know, valves in the system, which apparently didn't allow the tail gear to come all the way up and lock into place. And mm. Uh, mm. so, you know, and to verify that, I took the airplane up the next day and took off and raised the gear, came up, and, and we haven't had a problem with it since. But it, it you know, it's always like, you can't come up with this stuff. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's amazing. Well, yeah. thank goodness for recurrent training because uh, otherwise he, he never would have realized that he was well, that's a good this point. incorrectly. That's a good point, isn't it? It kind of makes the, the case for recurrent training. Well, it, it and does. doing it in a situation 
you know, you've got a um, very experienced instructor behind you, and you have that that safety net there. But um, but otherwise, you know, if, if he didn't have you, uh, this this could have turned out a little differently. Well, you know, you know, as we came back in a debrief, well, as, as I said, well, that ought to just about cover the EPs on gear. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but it reinstituted a lot of things, and you always go back, and the military is so good at this is lessons learned and and you know whether it be a gear problem or some other issue a mag problem or a blown tire whatever whatever it is is going back and going okay what did we learn from this in other words from start to finish and um, so lessons learned you know it reinforced some of the things that we had in place and and changed a few things of response time and, and minimum fuel and the ability to, you know, rally the resources and put a team together. Yeah, I mean, you not only um, went through, okay, what did we learn from the actual procedures that we went through, but what were the other factors that contributed to making this a safer flight and, and giving us more options? So, like you said, the fuel you know, going up in VFR, things like that that you might not necessarily think about um, contributed to the success, but were certainly important in the, in the overall, overall situation. Absolutely. You know, if everybody just sort of does an after, after flight, uh, one of the things I like to do is, is, you know, even with yourself, hey, what did I learn? You know, what can I do better? How can I do this better? Instead of just going, oh, that was fun and, and you know, going to lunch kind of thing. So a debrief is, is, uh, is just really, really valuable. And again, the military picks it up and not so much in the civilian world, but uh, really a great tool. Hey, Lee, one, one more item that was in this flight that I think is interesting and something that I like to stress with people is what really helped your situation here is you had a lot of fuel. So can you talk us through, I mean, what's your whole approach? Did you, were you carrying more fuel than you needed for that sortie? Is that typically the way you look at it? I can imagine that if you'd have been low on fuel, suddenly this situation, you know, gets a lot more difficult to manage, right? So I've heard you speak about this before, about keeping multiple options open. Yeah, absolutely. You know, in, in my career, I'd like to have two options, whether it be, you know, going cross-country or, or you know, whatever, is when I'm down to my last option, I get uncomfortable. So how do you pad your options? How do you keep options? As fat as you said, fuel is a big one, and and obviously we're sort of, you know, directed in the by regulation to have 30 minutes of fuel on board. But you know, an hour is a whole lot better than 30 minutes when you <laughs> have a problem or you know an abnormal ops or something comes up, and and uh, it gives you just that 30 minutes gives you such an incredible um, becomes such an incredible resource of having other options available i.e. waiting for another airplane for 15 minutes to come up and assess, you know, what I can't see. Fuel was never a consideration in, in this mission. Yeah. And so that's one thing that you can just totally push aside. And that gave us the ability to, to do all kinds of, of things that were beneficial to, you know, resolve the situation. Yeah. Well, Lee, we sure appreciate you taking the time to, to spend with us and talk us through what it's like to, to be in a P-51, be in the backseat with, a, with, an, with an interesting situation and how you flew out of it. Just loved hearing you talk through it. Um, so before you close real quick, can you tell us what's going on at Stallion 51 these days? I haven't been there in a, in a, in a little while. 
Yeah, your matter of fact, recurrent training's bad. I think you're overdue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't know what. To say. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll send Kristen down this time. So oh, there you that's go. on my but, bucket uh, list. <laughs> oh, absolutely. The Mustang is such a terrific airplane to fly, and uh, you know and what we're doing. Actually, I've been developing a uh, unusual attitude training program uh, for oh gosh, seven years now, and and we've sort of you know brought that up to such a great refinement and. and in the debrief side. So we're conducting unusual attitude training for major uh, corporate flight operations primarily and uh, taking students and, and opening up the envelope for areas that, the, you know, they, they normally fly in a very controlled regimented little box and uh, take them out of their comfort zone and, and uh, learning that. If you look at the accidents today, uh, loss of control flight is, is just King Kong of of the cause of accidents and, uh, you know, getting to be more and more uh, so with automation and uh, guys not getting advanced training. So we're taking them outside their, their area and very, very successful, uh, great program. And as I say, we're into the jets and, and uh, working with major flight operations now. And, you know, not only proud of it to, you know, develop a program that's sort of, you know, state of the art, but also to, uh, expand that knowledge base out to the uh, some of the guys that aren't military trained or, or do aerobatics for a living. Well, that's good stuff. Well, thanks again, Lee. Thanks for your time. I look forward to seeing you down in Florida soon, and uh, and fly safe. And thank you very much, Lee. It was a pleasure talking to you. Oh, it was great, guys. Kristen, you, I, I think SPAD needs a little bit of duel, so <laughs> if you can make that happen, I'd, I'd appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. I'll put it on his calendar. <laughs> Pat, do one, do, do me one big favor. Tell your, tell your, uh, your father, hello for me. And you know, one thing that you may not have known, but uh, we both grow up in Navions. My first flight was in a, in a Navion, uh, with my dad at two years old. And you know, looking back at some of your stuff and talking with you, I know Navion was a big, a yeah. big start for your aviation. Sure was. With, uh, with Still is. Well, well, that'll just thrill him, Lee. So I, I'll, I'll definitely pass that on. That'll be great. You guys take care. Okay. Thank you, Lee. Thanks, Best to Angela. All right. Fly safe, guys. Okay. Bye-bye. You know, Richard, that situation, the way Lee described it, I mean, it sounded like he was pretty calm throughout it, um, was able to just move from one task to the next. But I really think that uh, that, that could have been a much more stressful and panicky situation. Yeah, I agree with you, Kristen, that, you know, there was some stress in that situation, having an unknown gear configuration, because you can't see up on the bottom of your airplane when you're airborne. Um, You know, it it can be pretty serious. I also haven't flown with Lee and known him for a long time as, you know, that that is very much his approach to everything, including flying, is very deliberate, very matter of fact, always in control of, you know, his thoughts and emotions. And then, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna beat the drum again. You're gonna you're gonna uh, get mad at me for standing on my soapbox, but <laughs> he had excess fuel. I just think that having been someone that flew too low on fuel before, having excess fuel gives you so many options, and I don't understand why we still have fuel mismanagement problems to the extent that we do in general aviation, because it gives you so much more time and breathing room when you've got any kind of unusual situation, weather, mechanical problem, what have you, to have the excess fuel to give you time to think about things. Yep, which leads us to our next point. Uh, He had plenty of fuel uh, to maneuver away from the airport. He said he was about 15 miles out, and so he was able to to know he was in a, a safe situation 
where uh, he was away from the chatter of the airport and um, and could just really assess his options at that point and um, do it in a, in a stress-free and more concentrated mindset. Yeah, yeah, good point. He, he minimized his distractions there. And then, you know, it was they were in a situation that was not covered by the checklist. And so knowing your aircraft systems and know how they operate so that you can logic your way through some problems that, that aren't documented uh, was very helpful to him. Now, it also helped he was able to call back to his maintenance operations for sure. But even before that, you could see you know them thinking through and they had very good knowledge of the systems, which is always helpful. Yep, and then he closed it all with a solid debrief, which he mentioned isn't done um, so much in the civilian world as it is uh, in the military world. But so doing that debrief and um, figuring out all the factors that went into making this a successful situation is is really important to do after every flight. Yeah, and I think one more thing that pilots ought to be aware of is anytime you see the word C and D could not duplicate in your maintenance log, it raises a hair on your back of your neck just a little bit, right? Because it means that despite their best efforts, they couldn't figure out what was wrong. And, and who so, knows when it'll happen again. Right. So any, anytime you see that in your maintenance logs, you got to really be careful on the next flight that you go. And you almost have to anticipate you're going to see the problem again until you, you're sure it's cleared. And then you got to hand it to those guys. They're scratching their heads and couldn't figure it out. And they say, well, the only thing that's different is somebody different in the front seat, which you think, well, how hard is it to raise the gear handle? Well, it turns out it's slightly different, just slightly different, and just that slight difference was enough to cause a problem. So you got to hand it to them. Yep. Well, if you would like to hear other episodes or submit comments or submit your own story to potentially be featured on the show, please visit airsafetyinstitute.org slash there I was. Thank you and fly safe. Bye.